Welcome to Speak It On. This program is designed for the edification and entertainment of the listeners and not designed to be representative of a church, nonprofit organization, or denomination. Opinions expressed are solely those of the host. Hey, welcome back. So let's think about biblical training for a second. Because, as you well know, if you've been listening to these podcasts, you know I put a high premium on biblical studies and biblical training. Also, the fact that pastors ought to be in the top 5% of the smartest biblical trained people in their church from any room they walk into. Now, that's a very tall order. But uh, I firmly believe that. In fact, I really believe that if you look at the Bible, one of the primary, primary things a pastor should be doing is teaching. Now, it's it's interesting. Uh, I heard about a, a youth director in a particular church that basically said, you know, I just really don't like study. So he goes to seminary, takes the uh, shortest way out, and by shortest, I mean normally the most undemanding degree, and uh, and then runs it to the to the rails there because he doesn't like study. Now. I'll be very honest with you. Um, I'm not going to throw stones in that direction for this one reason. A lot of people would accuse me of doing the same thing because I took an online Bible degree from an unaccredited source that I thought the training was super good. But did I have to go to school and run and, you know, warm a chair with my behind? No, I did not. Did I have to answer uh, daily or weekly uh, to a particular seminary professor that may or may not like me? No, I really didn't. Now, here's the question. Biblical training. Biblical training. Let's look at seminaries for a second. And I don't want to bore you with this because actually I think it's kind of important from this perspective. We need to understand, first of all, that seminaries weren't always around. Seminary as an idea, as a thought. Okay, so so before 1800... When you went to school, to upper-level university, and you got accepted, you studied law, medicine, theology, or teaching. Uh, That was pretty much it. Because they were pretty much focused on you probably doing one of those things. Here's a rundown again. Medicine, law... Divinity, which is Bible and church and what have you, or teaching. And the teaching would be maybe a particular subject. 
And that's pretty much it. You didn't have a lot of the, you know, inside miners, outside miners, uh, you know, major this, major that, bachelor this, bachelor that, and, and, and so forth. Uh, you did have higher degrees and, and so forth, but this is not designed to be a like a education survey. What we're looking at is seminaries. Now, what happened? What happened? Because... All of this was in a regular seminary, in other words, or, or excuse me, in a regular college or university. All right? A theology school would be in a university. In fact, Harvard and Yale were both started as theology schools to begin with, to train preachers. Okay? Now, Interesting. What happened was, and this is another part of Catholic history that Protestants don't really talk about, learn about, think about, and I think it's sad because even if you're not Catholic, it's important to understand where things come from. So, so modern seminaries really resulted from Catholics, the Catholic Church at the time, their reaction against the Reformation. Now, if you know what the Reformation was, basically, you know, you've got Calvin, Luther, Zwingli, several other people. But the thing is, is they were saying, look, you know, the Catholic Church thinks that they run everything and they don't. It's, uh, you know, the individual is the captain of their soul and and they go directly through Jesus to God. So, uh, you know, and again, I'm not, this is like horribly melting it down for... uh, for the Reformation, but here's the thing: the Catholics did not did not sit still for that. All right, they said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa. so we're going to fix this problem." So uh, they turned around and did something called the Counter Reformation, and and that was after the Council of Trent, which was a church council, but they established the seminaries to train their ministers in church and theology. Now, the thing you have to understand, seminaries, and at that time, theology schools, were focused on a particular doctrine set. Alright? For example, if you went to university at Oxford, Cambridge, something of that nature, um, more than likely... If it was after the Anglican, you know, after Henry VIII, more than likely, you were going to be Anglican. And you were going to be focused on Anglican theology and how they look at things. And obviously, if you went to a Catholic school, a Catholic university, guess what? If you're in the religion or theology department, you're going to be learning about Catholic theology and church doctrine and so forth. So everybody's got their own little slant, see? And geography sometimes had a lot to do with it. Certain areas, certain places had heavier uh, groups of certain kinds of Protestants. For example, in the United States, if you go on the southern end of the... of the United States, and you grab a seminary, you might be Baptist. Might be Southern Baptist, as a matter of fact. But definitely, you know, evangelical, so to speak. Now, 
Why does that even matter? Because there was a divorce from the university to the seminary, and the seminary was more about the training the minister, taking somebody and making a minister at them. Whereas if you went to a theology school, uh, you might want to be a professor of theology. Maybe uh, you go to a church, and maybe you teach in that church, but you don't have any ministerial aspirations at all. You don't want to do communion, you don't want to preach at the pulpit, you don't want to do any of that. Because you don't feel God's called you for that. Hmm? So, why, uh, why the seminary? Now, the oldest seminary in the United States is Andover Theological and uh, at least reportedly is Andover Theological Seminary that was founded in 1807. Seminaries, at least when, and by the way, just to let you know, I do have a degree from a seminary. And that seminary, uh, it was a, a distance education degree and it's a master's in theology and pastoral leadership. There you go. So here we go. Seminaries were about, uh, as I mentioned, a particular kind of doctrine based on what kind of seminary you were, you were looking at. But basically, they were really trying to take an individual and take them from ground zero and make a, make a minister out of them. Teach them everything they needed to be. Now... The degree, the degree, by and large, that surfaced was a degree called a Master of Divinity. Just makes you divine, this degree. <laughs> Sometimes lovingly referred to as the Master of Divinity, but it's a Master of Divinity. And there's quite a few hours, depending on what seminary you go to. But the standard amount of coursework, at least for the past 20 years, has been around 96. Now, why is that? Well, uh, oddly enough, until just recently, you had to have 96 hours, I believe, to be a chaplain in the military. Now I believe it's 72, depending on what branch of the United States military you're in. But there are some seminaries that have uh, Master's of Divinity degrees. Uh, they go up to 127 hours. Now, here's the thing. Big whoop. What does that mean? Again, you have to think of a situation where they're taking someone who may have a degree in something totally unbiblical related. And usually, if you go to a seminary, at least in the West, you have to have a degree, a bachelor's degree. Now, a lot of seminaries will let you earn a bachelor's degree along the way. But the ultimate that they feel like is the thing is a master's degree. So, master's degree in theology, master's degree in... in but the, the thing for a pastor 
is a master of divinity. Now, interestingly enough, if you if you pull up the coursework having to do with these degrees that you get, maybe a third of that degree is going to be Bible. You're going to get a lot of administrative stuff in there, spiritual formation. Um, going to get a lot of church, you know, running this kind of evangelism program and youth work and seniors and how to reach out to certain people. You're going to get some counseling classes, not. Not a bad thing. As a matter of fact, uh, if you're going to be a chaplain in the military, you really do need to have some kind of counseling <laughs> classes behind you. Um, because that helps you be a better resource. Now the thing is, why are we even talking about this? Why why would someone want to go to seminary and go 96 hours if you could go to the university? Now, hang with me a second, because I know this is, you know, a lot of brain work and having to do with colleges, because really that's what we're talking about, college training. Now, a lot of master's programs are 36 hours, all right? Then, if you do a doctorate, PhD, beyond that, it's 60, plus or minus, depending on the program. It's around 60. So you got 60 plus your 36, that's 96 hours. And that's strange. MDev is 96 hours. But... You can get an MDiv, and then you can turn around and get a doctorate of divinity degree beyond that, which is around, I think, 36 hours, depending. Now, <laughs> for the same amount of hours, roughly, give or take, you can have a PhD in theology or religion or Biblical studies, however you look at it. Or you can go to a seminary and get 96 hours and get an MDiv. Now, why say all this jazz? Because biblical training is important. And I really feel like, in some ways, we've run the train off the tracks. In the old days, before 1800, in fact, even around that time, if you were studying theology, you knew Greek and Hebrew. It was not optional. It was not something you, oh yeah, maybe I know that. Um, no. They did that. Didn't get a lot of counseling, but you got a, counseling classes, but you got a ton of biblical study stuff. And it was blooming hard. Uh, now, today, you know, having different kinds of uh, programs, and I'm not dissing that, I'm just saying that, again, a pastor's job in at least the New Testament was 
primarily teaching. Now, you, you might be thinking, well, you keep talking about this. What are, you, what are you talking about? Okay, so let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, where Paul is talking to a young pastor and saying, look, this is kind of the things we're looking for, that at least I'm looking for, and I think God wants in a pastor. First of all, in 1 Timothy 3.1, he says, this is Paul talking, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. That means if you or your heart's desires to be a bishop, that's awesome. Okay. Therefore, an overseer or bishop or pastor, we can throw a lot of terms around here, but it's usually the same kind of term, must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, to keep his children submissive, not smack them into submission, but through loving care. This is my own little side note. Because it ends with keeping his children submissive. Well, so it doesn't mean subservient little lap puppies. That means through love and training, they willfully submit. Then verse uh, verse 5 goes, For if someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Now, here's a clincher. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. So, Now, this isn't the only list, okay? But this is, I think, a very important list. In verse, in, in chapter 3, verse 2, 1 Timothy, notice it says, able to teach. Able to teach. And you hear me say a lot, that ought to be the primary function. Now, I take this to mean that if they're not able to teach, why are you a pastor? Because maybe you need to be a deacon. Maybe you need to be... Because the idea we've got now, unfortunately, that is divorced from, I think, Paul's attitude, was Paul's attitude was a servant leader. Someone who leads by doing, by example, by showing, demonstrating what's going on. God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Well, that is an example of somebody demonstrating. There's quite a few people who want to be leaders, but they don't want to be teachers And if you don't want to be a teacher, then you can't be a pastor. And you may be a leader in the church, 
But you don't need to be an elder. <laughs> because elder, in most cases, would be a pastor. or And the head pastor should be first among equals. Not someone who's looked at as the point man. Not, that's not a biblical concept. The only head of the church is Jesus. We, you have to have someone who's a point man, so yeah, there is leadership. But the title pastor is pastor-teacher. It's hyphenated. And you, you don't separate that. You don't separate that. Now, a lot of people would go into an argument of, well, you know, this doesn't mean just academics. It means he's able to teach. Okay, but listen, you're dealing with the Bible. All right? You're dealing with the Bible. It does also say in here, uh, in 1 Timothy 3.6, he shouldn't be a recent convert. Well, you know, what does that mean? The word there in Greek is neophyte, which kind of gives you the idea of an abject beginner. But, but maturity is more than just age. Someone needs to demonstrate maturity. How do they do that? By volunteering to teach. <laughs> Teaching Sunday school, maybe? Helping, guiding, working in the church and outside of the church. Maybe that's the person that volunteers at the food bank. But maturity ought to be something you could see. Not just something that someone, you know, just because they're older doesn't mean they're mature. There's plenty of old folks that ain't mature at all. And I've seen some young folks that are very mature. So, who should go to seminary? Well, biblical training can be got in a lot of places. Seminaries, nowadays, there's almost just no reason for you not to. Just because there's so many different varieties. But, it needs to be Bible-believing, literally-believe-the-Bible seminary. And, in my opinion... If you need a lot of hand-holding, and you're going to do Hebrew and Greek, it's there are advantages, okay? I'm not going to say there's not. There are advantages to going to the physical seminary, because those aren't easy topics sometimes. They're not as hard as people make them to be, but they are not just super easy because they're so different than what we do, in the languages we know. But if you're disciplined enough, you got a good church support group, you got got a good support group with you, then you can study on your own, and you can go to seminary online. Nothing matter with that. There's a lot of good support groups online. Things have, have changed greatly. Personally, I think anyone who's going to teach in the church should have some type of biblical training. Now, whether they get a certificate or not, 
is between them and God and them and the church. But they do need to. Ha- but they need to have something that says, "Yeah, they went through this class or these classes." They need to have training in the Bible. Now, if you get that at the church by some by a, a really smart elder or a deacon, that's not for me to say yay or nay that you don't know it. Because if you know it, you know it. But here's the thing. Seminary is a good place to go. I think someone who is calling themselves a, a teacher and who's going to teach should have some kind of seminary training. Or, here's where I'm going to get in trouble. Or, they need to have some kind of biblical training at university. You have to watch out now, though, unfortunately, because there are an awful lot of university programs that don't believe the Bible and spend a lot of time telling you why the Bible doesn't say what it says. Well, I'm... I'll be quite honest, that's a useless endeavor. Because if the Bible doesn't say what it says, then why in the world would I ever want to study it? I mean, I could do a whole lot more with with a degree in mathematics or engineering than Bible if the Bible isn't what it says it is. So... uh, Start small. Try a class. Now, you might be thinking at this point, hey, Ellie, what have you done? You know, what, what is it, you know? Let me tell you what my background is a little, if you haven't heard it before, and you may have. So I do have a master's in science in communication studies with a minor in industrial communication. I also have a non-accredited degree in, and it's a Master of Theology in Pastoral Leadership. I have also studied and gotten credit for studying at Dallas Theological Seminary where I took a, a course in church history. Loved it. And that was a really, really thorough course. Okay? Not that my other ones weren't. It was a very thorough course. And I believe that was through ITS, which is the Institute of Theological Studies. But I got an A in that. Then uh, I have taken courses at Luther Rice Seminary. I think three courses there. Luther Rice at one time was not accredited. It is accredited now. And uh, accreditation isn't everything. But it matters to some people. Now, did my... you know, Now, here's, here's an interesting question. What was the difference between my non-accredited theolo- theology degree and those courses that I took at the accredited schools? Well, not a lot. 
to be honest. Uh, I think my Luther Rice, uh, at the time anyway, I don't know what it is now, and that was years ago, it was pretty much equal to my non-accredited degree. As far as the coursework and the thoroughness, because I took courses, I took classes, I listened to, to lectures, I took notes, and I took tests. And it worked the same way. The main difference between that one and the Galaxy Logical Study course I took, which was awesome, is I wrote papers for DTS. And it was, again, uh, I believe a course from Institute of Theological Studies. But there were papers I wrote. Okay? Now, uh, in accredited and non-accredited seminaries, you're going to find courses that you write papers and you don't write papers. But I'll be very honest. I think all of them were excellent. And I loved them all. And if you're going to hold me down and say, tell me right now which one was harder, I'd probably have to say the Dallas Theological one was. And mainly it was because they required you to write independent papers. Now, how did that compare with my master's degree and my master of science degree at University of North Texas? Well, that's another story for another day. So anyway, I want to encourage you to, first of all, seminaries come in all shapes and sizes. Bible schools, you know, and theology schools and universities come in all shapes and sizes. The main thing is that if you're going to go and get some formal training in that way, be very careful that you get someone, a group, a program that believes the Word of God is what it says it is. Because otherwise you're just spinning your wheels. And basically they're just going to mess with your head. And I definitely want to encourage you to get training somewhere, somehow, in Hebrew and Greek. Because it has opened a lot of, a lot of wonderful things for me to be able to do that. I have no credits in Hebrew and Greek in classes. So I have to say, my Hebrew and Greek study is independent. But maybe one day I'll get a, I'll get a, a course under my belt. But I'm having so much fun right now. I'm just doing it on, on my own, and I don't I don't see any problem with that. So, with that in mind. I want to encourage you to enjoy the Bible. Make, make Bible study a priority. Prayer, Bible study. And I say outreach, but I also say giving. Because outreach is giving. It's giving of yourself. Your resources, your time, your money, it is giving of yourself. So... With that in mind, I want you to keep on speaking it on. Thank you for listening to this edition of Speak It On. And as always, don't be afraid to speak the word in boldness and truth. And may God
bless all of your efforts.